You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. I want you to enter in just to a time of silence and stillness, to let the sound of the music continue and let your heart still. And I want you to know two things, that God is good and you are safe. So let's have another moment of stillness. God is good and you are safe. God is good, and you are safe. What a delight to see you. What a delight to be with you. Delight even not to see some of the people that are probably just down the way in the fellowship hall, and those that are across the way, maybe even across oceans, who are joining us today for worship. It's good to see you. Good things are happening at first. Do you realize that? I mean... So much of what we're ingesting right now is negative and depressing, anxiety-provoking, but there is so, so, so much good. And to be able to begin today with this uh, moment of hope, of commitment of allegiance to God, that is tremendous, tremendous. And I just want you to know, I want you to hear again someone tell you you're doing a good job. You're doing well. If you're able to, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This is taken from the Old portion, the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 and following. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It's not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us, that we may hear it and observe it? Neither is it beyond the sea that they should say, Who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us, that we may hear it and observe it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I'm commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish, that you shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. The word of the Lord. 
here in this second telling of the law, old Moses, one of the greatest leaders outside of Jesus who has ever walked the face of the earth, preaches a sermon, a really long sermon, one far longer than the one you'll hear today. A sermon that's 30 chapters in length. And he's just getting started when he gets to chapter 30. This great leader presents a question that has a pretty obvious answer. He, he proposes a choice that seems almost like a dumb choice. It's so obvious. And it comes to the people of Israel as they have been uh, on a very long journey. They've been traveling. They've been wandering. In fact, they're not even called the people of Israel at this time. They're called the Hebrews because they don't have a land. They've been in a circling pattern for 40 years, refueling in the air, trying to make their way to land in the promised land, and it's just not happening. And Moses digs out this sermon and tells them again the story of the law and lays before them a very obvious choice. Now, it's so obvious that if you were in school and you were given this choice, you might look around and think, okay, is this a setup? Are there cameras on me? This is too easy. It's too simple and too straightforward. So imagine yourself there in the plane traveling with the Hebrew people, when across the loudspeaker, here comes the pilot. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain, Old Mo. I want to thank you for choosing Desert Airlines to travel. We know you have a choice in airline travel, so we thank you for choosing us. We also know that your sandals have not worn out, so we're glad that you're flying with us today. I want to give you today, ladies and gentlemen, an Old Mo poll little choice for you. Just indicate which you would choose. Would you like to live or die? Would you, would you like me to land this plane or would you like me to crash this plane? Flight attendants will be coming through the cabin to collect various trash. Please indicate your choice. Uh, if you choose death, go ahead and just leave your trash on the floor or in the seat pocket ahead of you. It seems silly, right? For, for old Mo to say, well, do you want to live? Do you want to die? I mean, is it not plain as day simple? This choice between success and failure, between prosperity and adversity, it just seems too stupid, too simple. But what he lays before them is this idea of life with God and a life without God. And he lays it out in such a way that it's very simple, and it also lays out the consequences of the choice that you make. The simplicity shows up in verse 11. It's not too hard for you. It's not difficult. This is not an 11th grader or a third grader trying to take an 11th grade spelling test. This is more like an 11th grader Taking a third grade spelling test. This is very easy. It's not difficult and it's within your strength to accomplish. This choice is plain and simple. There's also a proximity in this simplicity. It's close to you. It's not far away. It's not hard to get to. It's near. 
No one has to get into a rocket ship and make their way into the heavens, nor do they need to find a pilot to submerge them into the depths of the sea on a submarine. It is easy. It's close. It's right there within reach. You know, if a lot of us need help with Zoom. A lot of us need help with YouTube or to get our smartphone doing just what we want to do. Or when we have to take off the dash panel of our car or the side panel, trying to find just the right way to pop those tabs out, it, it seems simple, but, but it seems sometimes out of reach. Look in verse 14. Verse 14 reads this way. No, the Word is very near to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart for you to discern, for you to discern and to observe. If you're eating watermelon, it's like the watermelon seed that's in your mouth. It's close. If you're thinking about this and feeling it in your heart, it's like the warming, that tingling sensation that happens when someone that you love, you're able to see. Or when you see something that really moves you. It's that close. The Word of God and the closeness of God is in very proximate location to you. So it's simple. The consequences that he laid out are also pretty simple. If you follow God, you're going to find the good life. If you choose uh, to, to follow God and, and, and enter this good life, you're not going to have the high life. You're not going to have everything. But you're going to have the truly good life. If you choose not to follow God, if you choose to direct and order your life in a different way, well, it's going to lead to not life, but death. And shortness of life. The kind of life that, that goes away with your breath. Because of the choices that we make, sometimes that death takes us slowly, mentally, inside, and emotionally. So the consequences are laid out. Following God leads to death. It's kind of like with, with what we're having to deal with with COVID. How do we constantly try to use our intellect and our ration to make good choices? How do we keep from just doing what we feel like doing or doing what we wish would happen? How do we sort through all and make a good, solid decision? Well, the summary is pretty simple. Seek God and live. Turn away from God, and eventually your life will be taken away from you. But what I love about this passage is that it takes us further. That God is close to us. God is near to us. Even in those moments and even in those seasons when we feel like God is far away. This far away God is near. Near to me and near to you. In two verses, in verse 16, this real way of living is laid out. And he repeats himself, but he does so with slight variance. In verse 16, he says, here's what you do. You need to love the Lord your God. And you need to walk in the way of the Lord. And you need to observe his commands and decrees and ordinances. How many words for command can you come up with? Well, just Moses throws them all in there. Love God. Walk with God. Obey God's commands. If you drop down to verse 20, they come in a little bit different order, but it's basically the same thing. You want to find this real life? You love the Lord your God with all your heart. You obey the things that he has to say, and then you 
hold fast to God. It's like you're holding God's hand as you're walking. So we look at this and it provides something of a theme for us of what real living looks like. Giving ourselves in love to God. Committing to God. Holding fast to God's hand and walking with God. And then following the guidelines of God. Now, it's easy to sometimes think that the rules are the same as God. And that's not what is said there. In fact, if you look at the rules in Scripture, or a lot of the laws, they change, don't they? In different times, in different seasons. It's really hard to read Scripture and not see how God has changed and adjusted and how our understanding of how God guides and leads us must change. I mean, if you think about the Old Testament rules of don't eat meat that's cooked in the mother's milk, well, not many of us follow that today. All the way even to New Testament rules like we talked about in recent weeks, the holy kiss, greeting one another with the holy kiss. There are some decisions that are made about Scripture. But still... Still, that theme of real living is there. You can choose between life or death. You can choose between success or failure. And the bottom line is whether or not that's with God. Whether or not, is not, whether or not that is in dependence upon God. Providing your allegiance to God. It moves us from being an individual only to being one who's in community who's working for the good of something larger than themselves. Well, there are a lot of questions that get asked, and in New Mexico, we, we like to ask one another a particular question. Specifically like to ask people uh, a question when they're new to the state. John, John nailed it, right? Red or green? That's one of our baseline questions. Well, there's another one that gets asked. Once we settle that, we know it's green, right, John? Is that right? So it's settled. There's another, there's another New Mexico question that we get asked. Astroturf or grass? <laughs> right? Astroturf or grass? Now, I, I grew up in Denver as well, and in, in the West, there's a lot of xeroscaping, right? This is nothing that you need to know, but for people who might be far away, they need to know that. Making use of rocks. Making use of varying colors of rocks and plants that are drought resistant so that we don't have to use a lot of water. We want to preserve and protect our water. And the house that we live in here in Albuquerque is that way. We've got all rock in the front, a lot of different plants. In the back we have a lot of rock and we have some astroturf that people put in there. Now thankfully Lizzie this year uh, got out her green thumb and we have a raised bed so we have some, some vegetables and some herbs growing. We have some other green. But I, I've been paying attention to this question of turf or astroturf, or, or turf or grass, and you probably have an opinion on it. We've seen even in our neighborhood, someone has pulled out their astroturf and put in fresh grass. Well, one thing I've learned about our astroturf is, man, it's great. It's, it takes care of itself. There's no edging. It needs a little bit of blowing and raking, no water, and it always just looks perfect. But it also gets really hot. I mean, it gets really hot. In fact, if there are those of us that are in the fellowship hall, they can look out and see our astroturf in the courtyard. It can be 
really hot. I'm talking like swimming pool concrete in the summer kind of hot, where you're dancing around. So I've been thinking, why is that? I mean, if you put grass and you put astroturf in pretty much the same place, where they get the same amount of sun, astroturf gets warm, if not blistering hot, but what happens with grass? It gets cool. Now that's interesting to me. Because astroturf is static, it's fixed, it's laid over the top, doesn't change in color, except, you know, once the decades pass, it begins to fade a little bit. But with grass, grass will change colors. If you don't water it enough, it's going to turn a little brown. It needs water. It needs good soil. And it needs air. It's like this super plant power plant that's taking in water that comes from the sky down to the roots, soaking up nutrients that then get raised up through that plant and released as oxygen for us to breathe. That cooling is a part of how it takes in the energy and releases it. It doesn't hold on to it. AstroTurf takes in the energy and has nothing to do with it. It must hold on to it. Now the reason I'm thinking about this is because I think AstroTurf and grass is an important way for us to think about what's going on in our life right now. There's a lot of energy being thrown at us. Good and bad energy. People's anger, people's hate, people's frustration. There's all kinds of energy that's being thrown around, right? And it's really easy to want to hold on to that, to want to take it and, and say, well, what do I do with this? But the thing about energy is that if you hang on to it, it'll burn you up. Energy has to be transformed and passed on. In fact, with energy, whether it's good or bad, so some of the good feelings that we have, some of the good desires we have, if we just hang on to it, it can ruin our lives. But what needs to happen is to take that energy and transform it into something else, to let it go through us and pass through it. That's what happens all along these electrical lines. Storing energy is difficult to do. Usually they just keep that electricity moving. They keep it flowing so that it can go to where it needs to be before it's uh, dispersed into something like your cell phone or your computer. Same is true of us. What are we going to do with what's thrown at us? Are we going to dissipate the evil that gets thrown at us? Or are we going to magnify it? The good that comes towards us, are we going to amplify and ramp up that good? Or are we going to minimize that good? This is an important lesson for us to teach our children, too. As young people and even as adults, we're still learning our way in what to do with the energy that comes our way. These are difficult times. Suicide is on the rise. It's increasing. Mental health issues are exacerbated by being cooped up. The emotions that we feel are all the more intense because of what we're going through. And being able to know what to do with that energy, to be able to reframe our life, is very important. 
And I want to encourage you that you don't have to hold on to this bad energy. You can come into this real life of loving God, choosing to live your life with God, and obeying the guidelines and the guidance of God. That reframing of our lives is like being more like grass than astroturf, by being given more to life than to death. Here in Deuteronomy, the curses that, that get expressed are not the last words. When we look at our own life, we've made mistakes. We've done things that have hurt ourselves and hurt others. We don't have to hang on to those things. We don't have to hold tightly to these mistakes. Deuteronomy is often compared to other ancient Near Eastern legal documents. It's a lot like them in many ways. Taking the law of Moses, taking the Torah, and then reframing it. But what's different about what happens in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, is forgiveness. The opportunity for repentance. Even all through this book, as, as God says, now you're going to walk away from me. You're going to run away. But when you run away, come back. That's a strange thing to add into a legal document. To provide this doorway, this grace-laced avenue to constantly keep coming back to God. And that's what happens. As God works on this soul project that's in our hearts, He is inviting us constantly to return to Him, to love Him, to live our lives with Him, and to obey His guidance. You know they're good words whenever they get repeated. When an old man is quoted by a younger man, and that's exactly what Paul the Apostle does with these words. He quotes them in uh, Romans chapter 10. Quotes them and uses them in, in a phrase that I think is quite familiar to all of us. If you want to, you can turn there. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. I think it means even more given what's happened today. The second part of verse 6, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss to bring Christ up. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's on your lips and in your heart. The word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For the one who believes with the heart and is so justified and who confesses with the mouth is saved. God through Jesus has given us an amazing gift. He has shown His desire to come near to us. And that was step one. Coming near to us through the Word and near to us through Jesus. And He invites us to take our lips to speak and confess these words about who Jesus is. But it doesn't even stop there because the gift of the Holy Spirit invites the presence of God into our hearts. Where God is not just interested in being close to us but by showing us who Jesus is, but coming to hear us articulate with our own lips not just to say things about Jesus, but to actually live inside of us in our hearts. God wants us. Lips, hearts, our whole bodies. 
This is an amazing story that we have. It's quite simple and yet so profound that God is as close as our breath, that God is empowering us with the ability to transform the energy that's thrown at us, to be more like grass, even though AstroTurf is really good, by the way. I, I like AstroTurf. But to be more like grass, cool to the touch, that's making the world even a better place. In this series, over the coming weeks, we will be uh, exploring what it's like to be at home with God, to be near to God. And what I've done is I've chosen a lot of passages about people in uncertain times who've felt displaced, who felt set aside. And they're passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament where we'll be looking at what it looks like to live at home with God. Let's pray. God, thank you for being such an amazing God, for constantly be calling us back into life with you. We thank you for the things we've been able to celebrate today, the good firm ground we've stood on with Adam, with Tara, with their commitments. Thank you that we can remember our own commitments or even anticipate when we will make that commitment. Confessing that Jesus is Lord, receiving him in baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for being as near as our breath, for being in our hearts. We know that you are good and we are safe. It's through Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit as one God, now and forever we pray. Amen.